anybody can do things one time. Anybody can make it somewhere, but to have sustained success is where you really find mastery in, in, in a niche, in a position, in a, in a profession. And when you get to those really high levels of things, it's the littlest things that make the biggest difference. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast brought to you by CCB Technology. I'm your host, Steve Shear. This is the podcast where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. So join me as I work to figure this leadership thing out on purpose. Do you ever wonder what it's like to be in the NFL? Or are all these guys just handed life on a silver platter? I have thought those things. I have wondered those things. The gentleman that I'm going to speak to in this episode has been in the NFL for nearly 10 years. He just finished his career. He has two Super Bowl rings and has a ton to say about leadership, about excellence, and about high performance and staying there. What does it take? What focus, what sacrifice do you need to have in order to stay at the top of your game? His name is Chris Maragos. He is a family friend. I am so fortunate to know him. His older brother is one of my best friends. Uh, and you are going to enjoy the humility, but also the pointed conversation that Chris and I had about success, about balance, and what it takes to stay at the top of your game. So here it is, my conversation with Chris Maragos. So Chris, this is uh, this is awesome. Uh, obviously, you're the brother of one of my very best friends. I stood up in his wedding, stood up in mine. You're from my hometown. So um it's great to have you here because you are an awesome example of leadership, in my opinion. So I'm really, really glad to have the chance to talk with you about this leadership thing and what you experienced so far. So thanks for doing this, man. Oh, Steve, it's, it's my honor. It's a pleasure. And uh, it's always great to connect with you any way we can via, via life or Skype or, or over audio, whatever it is. It's always a great time. I appreciate it, man. So uh, as we jump into this thing, uh, please give a little background on what you've been doing professionally for the last decade or so. Yeah. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to play college football at the University of Wisconsin, finish up there and uh, moved on to play uh, in the NFL for uh, close to a decade here uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, and most recently the Philadelphia Eagles. And most recently uh, just stepped away from the game due to a knee injury that won't allow me to play anymore, but yeah, I had a great time. And, and now I'm focusing on the next endeavors and, and all the things ahead. All right, man. So how does somebody actually make it into the NFL? Like what, what does somebody have to do? It seems like something that nobody ever gets in there and you, you did, and you've been in it for, like you said, almost a decade. So how does somebody actually get into the NFL? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. There's a, there's quite a recruiting process coming out of uh, the collegiate college football seasons. These NFL teams, it's a $15 billion a year business. So they have pretty elaborate scouting departments and are finding really the best talent in the world to come in and, you know, to, to really make it in the NFL and even to get there, uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. There's obviously a lot of great people along the way that, that help you and pour into you and make you into the player that you are to, to teach you the things that you need to learn. You know, obviously you have to have athletic ability that really separates you from a lot of other people that can sustain you. And you have to have a, a grit and a mentality and a work ethic that, really is unparalleled to anybody else to continue to take your game to the next level, never to be satisfied to you know, always want to do bigger and better things, not only in your individual game, but also throughout your team and, and the organization that you're with. So 
you know, there's, there's a lot of factors on, on why and how you make it. And, uh, you know, I was just fortunate in a lot of ways to be around some really great people and got an opportunity and, you know, was fortunate enough to capitalize on those opportunities. And, you know, at, at that point, then you, you hope you never look back and, and never give up your spot. Right. So I love understanding the fight, the grit, as you said, the work behind success and winning. So with that in mind, how did you respond when the things that you were working towards didn't really work in your, in your, uh, in your story here? You know, I, I think for me, you know, anytime there's a setback, you know, you have to look and see, okay, you know, what is it that the setback is, is causing me to be deterred from, you know, obviously the goals that I have, but, you know, to take those setbacks and, you know, either allow those to crumble you or to uh, allow those things to propel you forward to do bigger and better things. And, you know, I can remember throughout my college career, I was in, you know, uh, a walk on at two different colleges. So I didn't get a scholarship. I was undrafted to the NFL, you know, didn't get drafted. No team picked me. You know, for me, as I look back at those situations, I could either allow those things to deter me from where I wanted to go or I could allow those to be motivation to allow those things to push me forward to do things that people thought I couldn't do. In a, in a way, you know, put fuel to the fire of, of the things that I knew. And, and really it comes down to a, a couple things internally because externally people only believe what they see. You internally have to have a drive and a confidence and a motivation that other people haven't seen yet. You know, you, you, need, to, you need to have a confidence that really transcends people's understandings in terms of how they view you, where they think you're ceiling or uh, the limitations that you have. And you need to, you know, basically have a, a, no, a, no, a no quit attitude to really be able to basically say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what you see right now. I know what, what's inside of me. You just haven't quite seen it yet. And I'm going to show you based on you know, maybe these setbacks or whatever it is, you know, that are going to allow me to do bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot there. What's the story behind going from your first team, the 49ers to the Seahawks? Like what, what happened there? It's actually a really crazy story. So there's a guy by the name of Bill Nays. When I was at Wisconsin, I had to sit out a season because I transferred from one college to the other. And he remembered my work ethic, you know, on a daily basis when I was at the University of Wisconsin. He remembered that I would work hard every day in practice and I treated it like a game and I did the best I could for my team. Well, he left after that season and went to the San Francisco 49ers to be the assistant to the head coach, Mike Singletary. And he followed, obviously, the Wisconsin Badgers and, you know, he remembered me. And so that's really how I got to. That's really how I got to the San Francisco 49ers because Bill Nays, the assistant to the head coach, went to Mike Singletary and said, hey, listen, man, I don't know how you guys are scouting this guy, but he'll work hard for you. He'll do everything you ask. And that's really how I got my shot to the San Francisco 49ers of, of all things, especially as elaborate, like we touched on, as elaborate as these recruiting you know, things are now, scouting departments. But to kind of go back on how I got to San Francisco from the 49ers, that's how I got to the 49ers. How I got to Seattle was – is my rookie season, I got an opportunity to play because um, a few guys had been underperforming, a couple injuries, so I got an opportunity to, to showcase my abilities on special teams. There was a guy by the name of Jeff Albrecht. He's a, a coach in the NFL now. Um, he was a, a player who played 10 years uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. The year that I was in San Francisco was his first year out of the NFL, and he was now the assistant special teams coach for the Seattle Seahawks. And it just so happened that uh, going into my second year, his first year with the Seahawks, 
um, he would always watch film on me. And I had just gotten released at final cutdowns. I was one of the last guys released uh, by the 49ers. And I went back to move in with my in-laws in Michigan because my wife was just about to have her baby, our first son, Micah, uh, in October. So we're in September now wow. and we needed to get a spot for her to, to have the baby. And so it just so happened that the Seattle Seahawks had given up like two touchdowns on special teams their first two weeks of the season. And Pete Carroll went to the head special teams coach and the assistant special teams coach, which was Jeff Albrecht, the guy who played for the 49ers. And they said, "You, we need some help on special teams. You each can pick one guy that you like the most to bring in here for a workout. We'll work them out and we'll sign one guy. Jeff Albrecht, remembering watching me on my uh, my film to the 49ers, mm-hmm. uh, pick, picked me. And and I had just came out of a root canal, actually, and my agent calls me. It was like on a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, I had a root canal, and uh, my agent goes, hey, you're going out to Seattle. And uh, I'm like, hey, man, I just had a root canal. He's like, you got to work out tomorrow. They're going to sign one of you guys. And went for the workout, and and it was a great workout, and I got signed to the Seahawks, and, and that was it. So – uh, you get released from the 49ers. You got a baby due in like a month. You're about to move yep. back. You got uh, a root canal the day before a workout, The probably the biggest workout of your life. I mean, you're trying oh, out for for this uh, this team, and but you're not making any excuses, and you were ready, which is crazy to me uh, that you had that work ethic and you had that intentionality to be ready when the opportunity presented itself. And you were, man. So um, that goes goes into this next question. After you make it to the NFL, how did you maintain focus once you're there? Honestly, I think that's the that's the biggest thing for a, a lot of people is, you know, anybody can do things one time. Anybody can make it somewhere. But to have sustained success is where you really try, really find mastery in, in a niche, in a position, in a in a profession, whatever it is that you're doing. And so for me, when I see longevity of success, you know, that's what I really have a tremendous amount of respect for. And that's something that I wanted to be known for is, you know, anybody can have a great season in the NFL or two, but can you have sustained success? And so Mm -hmm. for me, I always thought about it um, with the mindset is that it takes forever to build and a second to lose. And I always remembered that no matter what I did, that it takes forever to build something, to get to that point, And it takes a second to lose it. And so we talk about holding the line or holding the rope um, and, you know, always finding the little things that are going to separate you from somebody else that other people aren't willing to do. And when you get to those really high levels of things, it's the littlest things that make the biggest difference. I think about it like this, like a, like a door, you know, you walk through a door all the time. There's a big, huge door that, you know, encloses from room to room. But the thing that moves the door is the small hinge. Mm-hmm. And so often people think, oh, the door is what, you know, actually is the, you know, separator between one room to another or from one place to another. But to me, to separate people from one place to another or to bigger and better things is really a small hinge. It's a small detail. It's small things over long periods of time that make a big difference and make a big separation between one person and the other or one corporation from another or one Mm -hmm. team from another, whatever it might be. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's not being satisfied and and knowing that I always had to continue to do the little things uh, in order to have success and to stay there. So then once you, uh, once you got a contract, uh, were you ever tempted to let off the gas at all? No, not really, you know, because, um, you know, uh, because I use those adversities uh, mm-hmm. to always remember 
what it was like beforehand. You know, you, you finally have a little bit of stability. You have some security. You know, you have validation uh, amongst your team, the NFL, whatever you might have it. And, uh, you know, you always remember those times where, where you didn't. And you always knew what it was like on the other side. And, and that's why I was so grateful for the adversities because it molds you and shapes you into the person that you are only if you allow it to. Because like I said, you, you can easily allow adversity to, to break you or to really, uh, you know, deter you from where you want to go. But, you know, hopefully you can use those adversities in those situations and those times and those moments, you know, to really allow you to propel forward, to continue to do bigger and better things. And to, like you said, not let, let the foot off the gas. Well, I, you know, I remember, um, I don't even know if you would remember this, but when we were, we were actually at a gas station heading to Indianapolis for your brother's bachelor party. And, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> okay, so everybody's talking to you about, oh man, all this money and whatever. And and I remember asking you like, so what is it that we don't get? And I remember you getting back in the car, starting it up and starting to drive and said, you know what? Yeah, people know that, you know, you get some money when you get to the NFL. They, you know, they know about the lights and the cameras and all that kind of thing. But what they don't maybe think about is the best athletes in the nation are all coming for my job every exactly. single year. So um, year. I was I was anticipating your answer. I wasn't sure what you were going to say about letting off the gas uh, to after you got a contract, but that conversation is in the back of my mind about how you kept going all these years. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit, talk a little bit about how the progression with the NFL affected your family and how you found rhythm with those changes. You, know, you got babies yeah. coming, getting married and moving to cities, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's tough because, uh, it, you know, it's really a, a haphazard industry to be in. And, and and again, like we said, you know, everybody's coming for your job. So you always have to reinvent yourself. You have to, you know, one year I might have a lot of success using a certain move or a certain technique. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? My opponents are are studying that all off season. And you know what? I have to reinvent myself every single season, even throughout the season. I need to change up and have different things um, that can play off of a different technique or a different move that I might have so that I can always keep people guessing and stay one step ahead of everybody. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of that too uh, goes back to the fact that because it takes so much time, it's very, uh, it puts a big strain on your family. Uh, You know, in the off seasons, people are like, oh, you know, you have January, February, March, and April off before you come back for your organized team activities and you start Mm -hmm. practicing with the team again. But, you know, in that time, you know, I'm, every day practicing, watching film, training, working out, keeping my body in shape um, so that I can withstand the season, you know, where most of these guys are out, um, you know, having fun, going places, which it's, it's not wrong to have fun or to take some time off, which is very important. But a lot of those guys are going out doing vacations and setting the next thing, you know, I'm over there learning new moves and, yep. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying focused on where I need to be for my body so that my body is so well trained that I can withstand a season or I can get in the fourth quarter and I can start dominating my opponent and if, and inflicting my will upon them uh, when they start fading or they start giving me just a little inch um, that I can capitalize on. And so, you know, the, the stress and the strain that it puts on your family is difficult. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough rhythm. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, my wife, Sarah, and my three kids were completely on board and, you know, we'd have conversations every off seasons you know, on, on the state of our family and, and expectations. 
and we would always lay out uh, kind of a game plan. And that was really helpful for us, you know, to know that my wife was on board. She knew what was expected of me from, you know, my time standpoint, when, when I was going to have more free time, when I needed to really kick my training up even further, um, those types of things. So it does put a strain. Um, you know, I don't think there's really a playbook to know how to handle it. You know, yeah. during the season, you're gone, you're traveling, you're game planning, you know, all the time you're, your focus is on playing football and you're recovering your body. Um, but I, I think it, it takes a, a total team effort that a lot of people don't see with these families in the National Football League is that, you know, they really sacrifice a lot for their husbands to be able to play this game and, mm. and are really the ones that allow them to have the success that they do to make and take the stresses off of them as best they can. That's good, man. That's applicable. I'm not in the NFL, I'll never be in the NFL, but it's applicable to what I do. Man, I get focused on a goal at work and sometimes yeah. I forget to look around and like sit down and communicate with with my wife and having uh, you know four kids myself, it, it, life keeps going and you don't want to be great at your job and sacrifice the things that are more important than that at, at the house. So that's a good yeah, reminder totally. from you, man. Um, no, yeah. Well, it's a good reminder for me too. And the other thing that I've learned too is that lack of communication. Wherever there's lack of communication, where there's no communication, then the thing that fills it is negativity. Mm, and so, that's good. you know, for my family, especially my wife, you know, if I'm not communicating well with her, the expectations on my training or my day or you know what the off season is going to look like, uh, then in her mind, there's possible negativity of oh, well, he's not around or oh, he's not doesn't value me, all those things that aren't true. But the fact that we need to have those communications are, are really important for, for the health of our family and just, you know, the ability for us to continue to stay tight together. Yeah, man. It's good. So good. So uh, shifting gears a, a little bit back to um, where, where we left off for a couple questions there. So talk a little bit about the coaching staff and their leadership in that, in quotes, you know, historic 2013-2014 season. Yeah, you know, it was just one of those special years. You know, we had everybody was bought in. Pete Carroll is a phenomenal coach. I mean, he is a, a master at uh, motivating and getting the most out of people. And I've learned so much from him from a mindset and a competitive standpoint uh, that will continue to impact my life forever. And we had a group of guys that was perfect. I mean, Russell Wilson was coming up. Marshawn Lynch was in his prime. Earl Thomas. I mean, our, our Camp Chancellor, we, uh, that defense is one of the best in NFL history. And we mm -hmm. had Percy Harvin, Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Curse. I mean, the list goes on of all the great players that we had on offense as well, too. And so, um, you know, it, it was a special year. Guys really believed in and loved each other. And that was really the thing that I really took the most from throughout my career. Is I've been a part of some really great teams and, and really fortunate to be a part of those. And I've been a part of some teams throughout my career, whether it's the NFL or college or high school or whatever, that weren't so good, that had maybe high expectations. And, and the big difference, honestly, was uh, the love and the commitment that we had for each other on those teams. So what does that what does that look like with a bunch of muscle bound, fastest, strongest dudes on the earth loving each other? What what does that what does that look like? What does that play out like? Well, I think it's two things. It's 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 one, it's love for each other, and it's two is respect for each other. I, I think I think the the first thing is is you need to enter into the respect for each other. And that's by the way that you work, the way you sacrifice, the way that you um put others before yourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I really saw with that team is, you know, guys were were doing every little thing that they could 
for themselves to be accountable to the team as a whole mm. or the defense of a whole or the special teams using unit as a whole or the offensive as a whole. And really what that was is it, is it built respect amongst everybody. When I said, I looked over at Earl Thomas and I'm like, this guy watches so much film. He's locked in every walkthrough. He's treating it like a full speed rep, you know, when we're walking through plays, you know, when it's not even practice time. And I'm going, man, if he's going to do that for me, I have so much respect for that. I'm going to do that for him with my niche or my my area of the team. And that was special teams, you know, in, in those moments. And that's exactly what I did is I I tried to earn their respect so that when when the special teams periods were going in practice, they saw how hard I practiced, how hard I worked, mm-hmm. that when they watched our drills, they would be hopefully inspired to then do that on defense as well for their specific thing. And then vice versa, I would then be inspired by them. And so we would have a mutual respect for each other by the way that we would continue to uphold each other's work ethic, uh, to honor the commitment that each other were, were making. And that was all 53 guys on the team. That was the coaching staff. That was yeah. everybody that was, that was doing those things. And then it turns into a love for each other because when you have a respect um, and to see the sacrifices that people are making, then you see the love that uh, comes out of that. And that's based on the amount of time that you spend together. It obviously stems from the respect that you have. And, it, and the more and more moments that you have together, uh, the love for each other, the depth of that continues to increase and grow. And then really in that moment, uh, you're, not fa- you're not worried about your opponent. You're not worried about facing adversity. All those things are so secondary because the strength and the bond and the commitment that you have with the love and respect for each other uh, is so great that nothing nothing external can stop you anymore because everything is so internally fueled and motivated that you you just you're not phased by anything outside of you and you just move forward and you get bigger and you get better and um, you just continue to to do those things. So you guys are building up momentum throughout the team. You're, you're steamrolling people. You, you're you're loving each other. You're respecting each other. You're correcting each other. You're looking at the guy next to you and you're seeing man he's working harder than me. I'm gonna bust my butt work even harder. Yep. So that momentum's building, building, building. You get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to know what's the locker room like during halftime at the Super Bowl? You know, who's leading, what's being said, stuff like that. What is the locker room like at halftime at the Super Bowl? You know, it's a, it's interesting because it's not a typical halftime because at the Super Bowl, it's about two times, if not two and a half times longer than a normal, uh, a normal halftime because there's a, the halftime show and all the festivities and the production that's just not typical of a normal game. Right. So it's a, it's a little bit different, but the locker room for us is, you know, you get in there and obviously everybody right away is, you know, getting, you know, hydration and trying to, you know, get themselves back together, you know, from the first half, gather their thoughts. Then we come back together collectively and um, and we would go through checks and adjustments, some different things that we want to implement in the second half, maybe things that didn't go that well or things that we think that we can, you know, really have an advantage on different plays. And then really at that point, uh, I can remember, you know, a few guys just got up and, and just spoke to everybody and just said, listen, man, you know, this is our moment that we've been working for our whole lives. You know, we've 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 all come from different places, different backgrounds, different races, ethnicities, whatever. But we're together here doing something that really nobody and very few people can say that they've done. And, you know, our, the big challenge to everybody was just to finish, finish the game. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's never how you start something in life. It's how you finish it. And, you know, for us, we were never satisfied at halftime, even though we were winning. 
Yep. And we wanted to, we wanted to you know show the world how great of a team we really were, and we did that. I mean, we won forty three to eight that game, and we took the opening kickoff after halftime for a touchdown. It was it was pretty great. Yeah, it's so awesome, man! Getting me jacked already. All right, so <laughs> uh, before we move off of the Seahawks, Marshawn Lynch, mm-hmm. anything there that we should add? To throw in? <laughs> I'm sure people are going to be wondering. I tell you what, he. Um, He's probably one of my most favorite teammates uh, that I've played with throughout my time uh, in my career. Um, large in part because, yeah. well, you see, you see the media. You know, I'm sure. You know, I'm just here, yeah. so I won't get fined, and you know, <laughs> all that yeah, kind sure. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That plays but, for people and it gets clicks for some people. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, but for him, he was probably one of the most genuine guys who kept it real uh, that I played with, and he was really all about his teammates. And I think that's why he really didn't like talking to the media all that much because. All he wanted to do um, was play for his teammates, talk about his teammates, and everybody wanted him to talk about himself. And so he just stopped talking talking to everybody at that point. So, you know, he, he's the type of guy that would give you his shirt off his back and, you know, remembers you and your wife and your kids' names and, mm. you know, everything that's going on. And when you see him out, you know, he's, he's, he's you know, helping people, his community. You know, he's, he's, he's making a big impact, especially in the Oakland area where he's from and and uh, he's just a he's just a great great guy. I think the best way he's just he's just misunderstood. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, when you see you know Skittles flying and stuff like that, obviously <laughs> that that's is true. What, he loves Skittles. <laughs> they, okay, so I didn't know if that was real yeah. either. But no, no, he know, loves Skittles. Yeah. The Skittle thing and beast mode and all that kind of stuff that gets people clicking and and talking. But it's it's a good reminder that you're saying the way that. Uh, the stuff that's maybe hot in the media isn't necessarily the full picture or the best representation of a of a human being, and so I appreciate your approach and, and you saying that he maybe didn't like talking to, me, to the media because that wasn't why he was there. He was there for his teammates and to win and to play. So uh, that's good, man. So then, then from there you go immediately to the Eagles. What was that transition right. like? I mean, there's got to be a ton of stuff between a new team you're going across the country new bosses so to speak and things like that what, what is that transition like man yeah it was a tough it was a weird transition so we we won the super bowl february uh beginning of february my son was born 4 days later holy six. smokes so it's good but you know it was it was a tough transition you know our our son was getting older you know he was you know a, you know about 3 at the time and you know we're going to a new city with a new baby a new team we just had come off a of super bowl we just had gone from the ground floor and built it to, you know, a world championship team in Seattle. And, you know, that's what I knew I was going to go into Philly, you know, to try to implement some of those things. So it was good. You know, the, the Philadelphia Eagles fans are absolutely amazing. I have so much love um, and so many great times with the fans out there and with my teammates, man. I, I love my teammates so much in Philadelphia and it was, it was such a unique time. And, and I think the the misconception was, you know, for me initially was, you know, oh, you're going to leave a Super Bowl team, a team that you grew up with and kind of cut your teeth in the NFL with and, you know, did these great things with. And, you know, oh, you're going to miss all those relationships. But but it was just so cool to see all the great relationships that I, you know, formed and, and had built in Philadelphia that I never could imagined uh, it being that way. And then obviously the things that we did in Philadelphia as well, too. And so it was just it was just such a, a great thing that you know, a lot of unknowns, uh, but with a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of things um, and opportunities that are available with those unknowns too. So you come from a team uh, that is the best. I mean, you just, you you guys just beat everyone 
you won the whole thing. How did you approach the new heads of that team in Philly? How did you not come across as, guys, I got this? Like, what did you do to, to be and remain humble? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you what, when, if, if you ever play it down in the NFL, you know, or if you played long enough, you know that <laughs> the person who has the I got this mentality is, uh, is the guy that's getting himself set up for failure because the NFL is probably the most humbling place in the entire <laughs> world because, <laughs> because you could be riding high and having, and playing some of the best football of your life. And the next week you could get beat by the quote unquote worst player or worst team in the NFL. And you could get smashed by him. I mean, obliterated. Yep. And that's the NFL. The talent and the ability is so good. And the competition is so stiff and the margin for error is so small. Even the best to worst team quote unquote in the NFL is there's not that much of a difference. And and so, you know, for me, I, I had learned early in my career, there was moments, you know, maybe in smaller situations where I probably felt like, oh, okay, you know, I got this under control. And then, you know, the wake up call comes and you, you learn sure. from your mistakes and you go, okay, like I need to make sure I don't let this happen. And, you know, so for me, when I went from Seattle to Philadelphia, you know, I, I really felt that, okay, it's not that I have an I got it mentality, but I think there's a lot of things that I've learned that can be beneficial to help us get to where we want to go. So mm. Instead of me, instead of me feeling like, okay, you know, I'm going to walk in here and just do this, or I need to implement and do all this kind of stuff. It was more of a, okay, I know the blueprint for success. I know how it looks. Now I need to be that person uh, to come in here and to try to help implement those things to help our team, you know, reach those same heights that I just came from. And, and that's really what I tried to be. I just, you know, you just try to be a, a, a person who serves the players and the people around you yep. and, and, and you earn respect when that happens. And, and then you and then in those moments and you have the space in their lives to then speak and to implement and, and to give the, the things that you've experienced. And, and then they're open to receive those things. Mm -hmm. So that's good. So you're not coming in the spot or coming in from a place of I've got this. You should listen to me. You're coming in as a hey. Let's do this together side by side. And you know what? I've kind of seen this before after you've built up the respect and the trust. That's good, man. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it, yeah. And I mean, just to add on to that too, real quick, yeah. um, I made it a point for the first like three weeks that I showed up in Philadelphia for our, our offseason conditioning and, and our practices. I didn't say a word. I didn't address our special teams unit, our team, really a lot of the players. I mean, I was friends with those guys, you know, individually. But I didn't address people as a whole. And I did that for, for a specific reason is because I was there to show them my work ethic to say, you know, everybody knew I just came off of a championship team and, you know, I signed a free agent deal. And so there were there's expectations already for me in Philadelphia. But I was there to show them that I was there to work and that I was there to to do my part first. And and I think a lot of people took to that. And then after that, once I earned that that respect respect and built that trust with them. So that they knew I was just going to come in here and it was just, just a, you know, uh, oh, you know, this guy just signed a free agent deal. And he's just going to come in here and ride the wave. Um, you know, then they listened and then my words were then that much more effective as I moved on from there. Man, that's helpful. You let your work speak for you and then use words when necessary. That's good, man. So that, but, but then you get to a second Super Bowl. What's the difference between these two teams and maybe what are some similarities between these two teams? Because you got two experiences of two different Super Bowl teams. So what's that all about? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, there, there's a lot of differences and there's a lot of similarities. Um, you know, the differences were that 
you know, when we were in Seattle, we had, I mean, probably the, you know, the best defense of, you know, NFL history, one top five for sure, you know, yep, and, yep. and, you know, Philadelphia, we had a great defense too. Don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't, it wasn't that, I mean, it just wasn't as quite as good. I mean, it's hard to replicate even no matter how good you are. So the other thing was too, is we had a lot of injuries that year, myself, Carson Wentz, uh, Caleb Sturgis, Darren Sproles, Jason Peters, Jordan Hicks, some of our, a lot of our key players went down. Yep. And so, uh, there's a lot of a lot of differences because as we went into that playoff run, you know, when I was in Seattle, it was like, you know, we were steamrolling teams all year and the same thing we were in Philadelphia. But once once Carson Wentz went down, it was OK. You know, there's for, from the outside world, there's a lot of uncertainty where in Seattle we were just rolling into the playoffs and we were just going to impose our will on people. Um, the, the similarities, I'll say, was is that like we talked about the, the love and the commitment that we had for each other on both teams um, was very real and guys loved each other. They sacrificed for each other. They were, they were willing to do the little things and, you know, do the extra inch for each other that, that really other teams that I've been a part of weren't. And we had, we had a lot of success because of that. And, you know, we were able to, you know, obviously go win a Super Bowl in Philly uh, as a, a tight knit team that loved each other. Man, it's encouraging to hear that, that even if you take lumps along the way, whether literal or uh, figurative, like you guys did in Philly, yep. if the core is the same, you have the yep. same chances of coming out on top as champions. And that's that's huge. Um, so now you've got two Super Bowl rings. you got a little money saved up, a beautiful family. So what are you up to nowadays? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm going around speaking about high performance to – a lot of teams, corporations, different things like that. And then, uh, you know, for me, I'm doing some time fishing, uh, spending some oh, time good. doing things that things I haven't been able to do. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a few different things that I got my hands in and, you know, just, um, just kind of seeing what's next, seeing what God has next for me and just trying to be obedient to that for sure. That's good, man. I've got a couple, uh, three questions to wind this thing down. What's the greatest lesson that you learned? Who, or how did you learn it? Who did you learn it from? Or how did you learn it? And then why was it so impactful? So greatest lesson you learned, who or how did you learn it? And why was it so impactful for you? Um, so I, I learned uh, very quickly from my dad growing up. Um, he would always tell me that the substance of who you are is really what gives you your worth and your validation. And I think in a culture that we live in today, so often the things that we have or have accomplished or the things that people look from the outside externally uh, as our worth, really what gives us our substance um, is really backwards. My dad always would tell me growing up, he'd always tell me, the person that you are, the substance of who you are is going to show through in the good times and the bad. And he'd always tell me that when your upside goes downside, what's inside of you comes outside of you. Mm. So he said, when you face the adversities of life, but when you build your life on the substance rather than the external things that other people validate you on, that's really going to showcase what your true worth is, the substance of who you are and the person that you build your life upon. And, um, you know, that's the things that are going to continue to, to give you success throughout the good and the bad times, uh, in life. Man, that's so good. So what's the best way for people to, to connect with you, to, to, uh, engage with you there? If anybody wants to reach out to me on Twitter, um, my Twitter handle is my name at Chris Marigos. It's a real easy way I can interact and, and, uh, connect with anybody through that for sure. It's good. That's good. Well, I, I know for a fact that your parents uh, and your brother are proud of you, Chris. 
Um, you are way more than just a football player. Uh, you, to me, you're an example of excellence. And um, I thank you for the time, man. And uh, I'm grateful that uh, you know we get to spend this time together, but also to know you personally. Uh, likewise, Steve. It's always been fun throughout the years and glad we can finally do something like this too as well. It's pretty fun actually. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> a long way from, from picking weeds at your parents. Oh, well, actually you were yeah. the one picking weeds, me and Troy, we weren't paying attention and we weren't picking weeds. So yeah, man, it's uh, a, <laughs> we come a long way. Come yeah, we, had some, we had some good times. That's for sure. Yeah. But th- thanks a lot, Chris. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks Steve. Appreciate you, man. Love that guy. He is passionate. He is humble. And I feel like most of us can identify with what he's talking about. So takeaways, couldn't boil it down to one, takeaways. Let your work speak for you. He comes from a Super Bowl team to the Philadelphia Eagles, and for three weeks, he doesn't stand in front or talk about himself. He just shuts his mouth and gets to work. I love that. Second thing, he was ready for that tryout with the Seahawks. He had a choice, though, because he had just had a root canal. That's not ideal when you're supposed to be physically at your best to show that you need a spot on this team or you should have a spot on this team. He didn't make an excuse. He identified the problem and overcame it, but he was ready. He didn't start training five minutes before the tryout. He had already been training. So those are the takeaways. Here's the action item. Are you speaking or are you letting your work speak for you? Are you speaking or are you letting your work speak for you? Earn the trust of the people that are watching you and then talk to them about how they can change their behavior or change their actions or get better. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. I know you want to connect with Chris. You want to see what's going on with him. So the best way to do that is to click on the show notes, get his Twitter handle and hit him up. See what he's up to. He is an awesome guy and uh, he's got a lot of knowledge. So hit him up. If you want to connect with us, you can go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast. You can hit me up directly if you'd like on LinkedIn or on Instagram. Or if you want, you can shoot us an email at impactpodcast at ccbtechnology.com. And if you're so inclined, you can go ahead and leave us a review or a rating or whatever it's called. We would love that. It helps us get better. It helps us reach more people. And we are all in this together. So from all of us, here at CCB Technology. Thank you for listening.